This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, simpletons. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, the most successful minimalism podcast in the world. Oh my God, that's news to me. (laughs) Breaking news, Ryan. Oh my God. It's funny, man. Uh, Obviously, joking about that, I mean... Yeah, you could look at stats or numbers or whatever and determine success, but that's really what I want to want to talk to you about today, about success, about failure, about fulfillment, about satisfaction, and about how incessantly chasing these things is not mm. fulfilling, right? It's uh, it doesn't create fullness, it creates foolness. Oh, it's a double entendre. Successful is the title of this episode. Made me think about uh like Buddha. Was Buddha the most successful Buddhist? Yeah, well, right. And the, the question I actually wrote down, the very first thing, when I think about success, when I was walking into the studio, I was thinking about this. Who's the most successful child you know? Mm. And like, I wouldn't even know what that would mean, right? Mm-hmm. Like, It could mean like maybe they're a child star and they have what more followers on Instagram or something, but is that really a measure of success? Mm. It, Certainly not a measure of success for being a child. Yeah. If we're talking about being a child, there's no such thing as the most successful child. Right. And when we think about success, I think we often look toward magazines or now it's Instagram, right? Where mm-hmm. it's the really nice suit that you used to wear and you would see it in the GQ in your mm-hmm. 20s or uh, the Lexus that I drove or the big house and the exurbs that I had. These are all sort of signifiers in, and this, is, this is the key here, in our culture for yeah. success. In other cultures, people might look at that and say, well, that's so silly. Why would you have such a big house? Mm. Uh, it, it, wouldn't it be lonely there? Or why do you need to wear that piece of cloth around your neck? That mm. is a very strange thing. Or why are all of those logos on that handbag? I don't even know why you need the handbag, but why do you need the logos there? Oh, it's a signifier. It's simply saying, let me signal to you mm. my socioeconomic status or my aspirations, my yeah. success. Yeah. And so when we think about success, don't we often look at maybe your career, mm-hmm. the job title? We, we often look at the amount of money either in your bank or the amount of money you make, right? Mm-hmm. We look at the trinkets that you amass. The average mm-hmm. American household has 300,000 items in it. And that's not good or bad, but... My argument for all of this is that, or my thoughts on this, is that success is often failure. Hmm. Often. I could see that. It's interesting. I'm thinking about a friend, a mutual friend we have, who is from Belfast. Uh Uh-huh. And they have a very wealthy friend who lives in Belfast that bought a Maserati. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were, like, driving around Belfast in their Maserati. Oh, wow. And they ended up getting rid of it because they did feel alienated because no one else 
It was like the only Maserati <laughs> on the road in Belfast. Oh, and so that, that highlights something fascinating, doesn't it, Ryan? Because we all want to be significant in a way. Mm-hmm. And so we often signal success. It means, look at me, I'm different from you. Yeah. But we also want to fit in. We want to have connection and love with other people. Mm. And so if I'm so different from you, mm-hmm. then I miss out on the sort of interconnectedness of people yeah. and and so my indictment is not on success my indictment is on society's view of a measured version of success and yeah. maybe what we can do today is sort of work to redefine success because right now we when we look at success we look at at the form of success, the mm. trinkets that I mentioned, the cars, the ooh, the suits, the beautiful dresses and the purses, and there's nothing inherently wrong with these things. It's not immoral to own a Maserati. It is immoral to run someone over with your Maserati on purpose, right? Right. And, and so when we're talking about success or failure, it's not a good or a bad thing necessarily, but unfortunately the problem happens when we confuse the form for the essence Mm. and and so we look at that advertisement in the magazine in fact uh, you and I reviewed last week or a couple weeks ago with Bex we were doing the how to love episode on the minimalist podcast we Mm -hmm. on the the private podcast we we broke out this Louis Vuitton ad Mm -hmm. and there was a great metaphor of like all this baggage that was keeping the person in the ad from actually exploring the beauty of the world. And so the thing that actually made them look successful was getting in the way, <clears throat> excuse me, the thing that, was, that made them look successful was getting in the way of, of life, of living. Mm. And isn't that true? All the things that we pursue, many of them, as I create my life, mm. I'm not actually living. In fact, that creation the amassing gets in the way of the living, the experience. Mm. And so I thought I'd start with a question here. I've gotten various versions of this question, Ryan, over the last few months as we've been exploring these different topics, especially over on the private podcast. So I wrote this question down. This is an amalgamation of maybe a dozen or two dozen questions people have asked me. But it's bas- it basically goes like this. Is Joshua Fields Milburn a Buddhist now? Or is he a Christian, a nihilist, an existentialist? an Epicurean, a Stoic, a Quietist, or something else? First, I like to say that I tend to avoid isms. The only ism I like is minimalism. And the reason I avoid ism, ism is just a a suffix that means the ideology of, right? And so I'm okay with consumption when we turn it into an ism, consumerism. I have a lot of problems with that. Minimalism seems to be an ism that is, uh, by its very nature, devoid of ideology. Now, someone can create their own ideology and call it minimalism, but when you and I talk about what we talk about, Ryan, we're not talking about dogma. Mm. We're not prescribing a a, uh, 13-step program to live a more minimal life. We're sharing some recipes, And, and by sharing those recipes, occasionally, some people, or in some cases, a lot of people get value from those recipes, applying them to their own life. But we're certainly not saying, this is what you must do. This is what you should do. I got this text message from Laura the other day, and I responded back to her. I wanted to read it to you, Ryan. By the way, you can text us, 937-202-4654. She said, hey, Josh, fellow INTJ here. So she's an introvert. 
uh, INTJ. I'm probably an INSJ. I I sort of fluctuate between the two. Um, Anyway, she says, I am new to your podcast and have been gobbling it up. It's put verbiage to a lot of things I have been feeling for years, so thank you. It feels like a cheat code, using all your years of experience condensed and articulated so well. I told you we were successful, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) You have very very well thought out ideas. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, All right. It is striking to me that you don't seem to have figured out what you personally believe about creation and God. Hmm? Yeah, right. That's where it goes here. Say right? it again. So you have a very well you have very well thought out ideas in so many areas except spirituality. Mm. It is striking to me that you don't seem to have figured out what you personally believe about creation and God, or maybe you're just not willing to share it. And uh, it goes on uh, several other paragraphs hmm. here. But l- let me just say this: um, you say accept spirituality, and I find find this fascinating. Yes, I think we're all sort of seeking. I'll, I'll read my response to her, Ryan. I just sent her a text message. It said, "It's wonderful you're getting value from the podcast." Yes, I'm certainly inspired by Christians, atheists, Buddhists, Stoics, Quietists, existentialists, and even nihilists to some extent. I'm not going to pick a team though, since. I find wisdom in each of those traditions. Mm. Besides, it's not about what I, quote, believe. It's about the truth. And our beliefs often cloud the truth. If I align with any one thinker above all others, it's probably Anthony DeMello, who was a Jesuit priest, whose book Awareness changed the way I see the world. You and I have talked about the book Awareness Mm. before Mm -hmm. on this podcast. Uh, Briefly, I read an excerpt on the uh, politics 2020, or what was it, the Election Day 2020 episode. Also, Kapil Gupta, MD, who is an agnostic or maybe even an atheist, uh, his book, Direct Truth, opened my eyes to see the truth. And I, I responded to Laura this way because I often think teams are the problem. When we talk about picking a team or picking an ism or picking a dogma, I don't have a problem with any of these. Like I said, I find great wisdom in all of these these sort of isms and i try to find ingredients from those that help deprogram me in a way help wake me up in a way without having to drag every piece forward right yeah i mean with spirituality it's like i don't know that's why i don't talk about it mm. and I'd, I'd actually have become comfortable with not knowing and to plant my flag or to plant our flag in any type of spiritual belief, um, it's actually divisive. Mm. Uh, You're alienating certain people when you plant your flag. So I used to think the term agnostic was kind of a cop-out. You believe or you don't believe, man. Uh But it's like, I don't know, that gray area of being agnostic just kind of, and what I mean by that is just being open to everything. Like that's, I think that's more valuable because you can Look at all the wisdom from the different philosophies and take a little bit, uh, a little ingredient uh, here and there. Um, but it's interesting because this says more about this person who's texting us, right? Sure. Yeah. And by the way, most of our texts are they're great. I just get, and by the way, this is not a, a bad text or anything. No, it's We're, a good usually, topic. Usually people are saying like, hey, here's a picture of something I, I decluttered recently and we'll send them back an emoji or a thank you or whatever. A lot of people calling me a chair lately. <laughs> That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a chair. Everyone listen to this. I am not a chair. Uh, well, you can text him and let him know whether or not you think he's a chair. Mm. That's from a previous episode, by the way. I think it was our <laughs> obligations episode. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I wanted to just uh, button this up by 
Reading this one sentence again, it's striking to me that you don't seem to have figured out what you personally believe about creation and God. Um, well, here, <laughs> Wait a minute. They have all the answers? <laughs> they figured it out? Well, here, that, that's the thing. I don't want to figure <laughs> no. it out, right? No. I want to understand. And the reason you brought up the, the sort of uh, the term you used was agnostic or, or mm. and. Really, what you're saying is, I don't have an understanding, but I'm attempting to to understand. Mm. I'm I, I'm still I'm searching, I'm learning, I'm seeking. I and I'm I'm a seeker in, in ways, and that's what I think all these different traditions do. They sort of approximate a, a better understanding as opposed to figuring it out. I, I don't I don't you, know, you figure out something. That is, I mean, what is something that you would figure out? A puzzle? Yeah, I guess. And I don't look at this as a, as a puzzle per se. Well, there's something about, you know, the human existence, this, you know, mentality we have of having to have answers. Mm. And, the, you know, what we've kind of been discussing over the last couple months has to do with not really having answers in a way. So... Uh, when I think about value judgments, mm-hmm. it's like we work so hard to ha- get the answers so we can make the appropriate value judgments on things. Mm-hmm. And the more and more I... Let's talk about some of those value judgments are for people who are just catching up here. Sure. So one value judgment could be like, you should drink more water. Or it should it could be, you should stop eating... Uh, you shouldn't eat that, right? You should or shouldn't. Those are sort of value Should judgments. or shouldn't's good and bad. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah. yeah. You must do this. You need to do this. Yeah. These can be value judgments as well. Right. And like the older I get, the more comfortable I get with not having the answers. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like right now, if I was to, you know, put my flag in, here's the point of life. You, you know, I think living a meaningful life is important and it's great and it helps me like enjoy life. But the point of life for me right now is to accept that there is no rhyme or reason mm. and that it just is. Yes. And yeah. uh, that has really helped me to especially get through the times we're living in right now, which it seems like you have to put a value judgment on certain things. Mm. And certainly, like, there are things that I would not associate with and things I wouldn't promote. Um, however, you know, after it's all said and done, like, it's – it's uh, it's just everything is just happening, and not having to put a value judgment on it has helped me navigate it a little bit better. Now, some people might mistake that for nihilism. What right? is nihilism? Ex- expound for the folks at home. So, so nihilism is and basically me. the the. I mean, so if you want to read more about it, you can look into Nietzsche's work, and you could even look at like some of the existentialists, uh, Heidegger and and Kierkegaard, and it's and, so funny because I studied those guys and college and uh-huh. I really couldn't tell you anything about them. Right, because if we're, if you're not ready to, to hear a, a thing, right, then it's just going to fill up space. It's going to it's going to seem like hyper rational and it's not going to have a whole lot to do with uh, with whatever's on your mind at the time, whatever interests you then. So so nihilism is basically the belief that there is nothing mm. uh, and um, there's no point to any of it. There's no meaning whatsoever. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm not an expert on, on any of these these topics, but I have, you know, I've read quite a bit on, uh, on different philosophies. Mm-hmm. And what I'll say is that when you and I talk about living a meaningful life, we mm-hmm. don't think that there is inherent meaning in 
in everything or there is a thing you're supposed to do, also a value judgment, mm-hmm. right? Or that you were predestined or born to be an astronaut or whatever it is. It, it, the, the truth is that while there is not a, a meaning, we impart meaning onto anything, or we can at least. And unfortunately, we often map meaning onto virtually everything. It's the reason we have 300,000 items in our households is because we've said that, well, what about the things that are meaningful to me? Mm. That's true. You do have some meaningful things, but it's only because you've assigned meaning to them. They're not innately meaningful. Mm. And so I can certainly see some wisdom within nihilism. And I mean, there's clearly some, some genius philosophers who have, who have written about it. But uh, I do find that we, when it comes to living a meaningful life, mm-hmm. it's about finding what do we add meaning to. And if I do so deliberately, then I can live a meaningful life that is more peaceful, more tranquil, less stressful, less anx- anxious as, mm. as a result. We're talking about success today, and I thought we'd start with a question here from Ladina in Berlin. Although I don't have any difficulties fulfilling obligations that were imposed on me, I do struggle with tasks and steps towards the goals that I set and want to accomplish myself. For me, it seems way harder to wake up early or work concentrated on something that I don't have to do, but I just want to do. I start procrastinating and filling my time with passive activities like senseless scrolling through YouTube or Netflix or even worse, with buying stuff that I don't need, after which I do not feel happy or content. So my question is this. What advice would you guys give me in order for me to stop procrastinating and gaining the necessary discipline for the meaningful tasks that I put upon myself? And how would you think minimalism would be helpful in this regard? So, Ladina, you know, I'm looking at, at your question here, hearing what you have to say, and you asked for some advice. And I don't know that I have any advice, but I have some observations for you. When you're talking about being happy or being content, the way that you're talking about it, it, it feels as though you're chasing the thing. You're mm-hmm. chasing happiness. And the pursuit of happiness, I think, is actually a problem. I don't think happiness can be pursued. In fact, I think the, that the pursuit of happiness is a chase, and that is a, a type of failure in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Because it leads to attachment. It leads to, to misery. And, and, and so, paradoxically, the chase to happiness always leads to misery. Hmm. But that said, she's basically saying, how do I overcome my addiction to procrastination so I can focus on doing meaningful work? Well, it sounds to me like maybe you haven't found what that meaningful work is just yet. Now, Mm -hmm. there are certain things where you're like, you know, I found this thing that I want to do, Mm -hmm. but maybe you don't have the deep desire to do it. There's a giant difference between wanting something and having the desire for something. You know, for me, uh, wanting a million dollars, if, Ryan, you were to place a million dollars in my bank account, yeah, that sounds nice. Sure. But I don't have the deep desire to go out and ruthlessly make a million dollars this year, mm. right? And because there are certain levers I could pull. I could go back and work in the corporate world, and maybe I, I, I wouldn't make a million dollars in a year, but I'd be much, much closer if I went and, and did that and climbed the corporate ladder. Mm. But I, that's not a, a, a price that I'm willing to to pay, mm. really, right? Yeah. And, and so when we think about the deep desire, I think it's about uncovering what that is because I wake up early. It doesn't mean you should wake up early, but when mm. I wake up early, the first thing I do is write. Mm. Well, why? It's not because I, 
I want to write. In a weird way, it's because I have to write. Mm. Now, Ryan, there are two kinds of haves here. There's the have where it's like, Ryan, I'm going to make you come into the office at 9 a.m. and you're going to write every single morning. Mm -hmm. That's the external. You're forced to do something. You have to do it. And that's really what Ladina means in her question here. It's like, no one's forcing me to do this, and so I'm less inspired to do it. Yeah, it's interesting because she started off her question with, I'm really good at doing the things I'm forced. My forced obligations, I think, is what she said. Right. Yeah. And, and, And so... But I can't imagine if someone forced me to write every morning, all mm. of a sudden, it mm. would change the total dynamic. However, yeah. I have to write every morning, but it's not an external have. Mm. It's, a, it's the thing I can't not do. Mm. And, and if you have found the thing that you can't not do, that is often what people mean when they say, what am I supposed to do with my life, right? Yeah. Now, of course, there can be more than one thing. And the thing that I can't not do right now at age 39 Mm -hmm. may be different when I'm 49 or 59. Mm. uh, And and, and I've lived my life differently. And so that can change over time as well. And so my observation is if we have found the thing that we can't not do, whether it's writing or snowboarding or roasting coffee or accounting, Mm -hmm. whatever that thing is that you can't not do, if you have found that, everything else just falls in line. It takes care of itself. You no longer, if you, Ladina, if you found the thing you can't not do, you no longer need discipline. Mm -hmm. You no longer need commitment. You no longer need routine or schedule or structure because you develop a healthy obsession Mm. for that thing, a a, a sort of borderline pathology in order to, this is the thing that I feel like I must do. There's no thing that I'd rather be doing than this. It doesn't mean that it's easy all the time, but it's the thing you can't not do. And so, of course, you do it. Let's talk about, you know, when the minimalists first came about. Um, I'm curious. Well, I, actually, let me preface it with this. Do you think it's possible to have an interest, create the discipline mm-hmm. to invest in that interest, and then cultivate it into being something that you can't not do? That's a great question, right? Yeah. And, and the answer is yes, but. Mm. and Or maybe yes, and. Yeah. Yes, and it's important to realize that if you have an interest in something, you may be able to cultivate it into a passion or the thing you can't not do, mm-hmm. but the habits alone will certainly not do that for mm. you. Uh, I'll give you an example. For me, it was writing, right? And so this right. is what I know. And for the longest time, I was an aspiring writer. I talk about this in, in my writing class, how to write better. Yeah. Um, And I was an aspiring writer, which meant I didn't really write every day, but it was really the thing I wanted. I didn't have the deep desire yet, but I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's that's key. I wanted to do it. And so I started setting my alarm for 4.44 every morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is before the Jay-Z album of that same name, 4.44. (laughs) Um, And and so I was in my 20s, and I, I would basically, I used to get up at, at 5.45, I started setting it at 4.44. It gave me a minute to get out of bed to get to my desk mm-hmm. and start writing. And at the moment, did I need that sort of discipline? Yeah, I thought I did. Mm. But 
what that discipline created for me early on is it uncovered the deep desire mm. to write. And now, if it wouldn't have created, uh, if it wouldn't have uncovered that deep desire, in fact, it may have uncovered the opposite, where it's like, oh, this isn't actually what I want to do. Mm-hmm. What's important there is that we don't get stuck in commitment. Mm. Because of, well, imagine if I committed to continue writing even though I hated it. Mm. Well, that's what a lot of people do. Well, I'm supposed to do this. There is no supposed, mm. right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, it, makes me, yeah it makes me think like, well, uh, I forget who you sat with. Is it Don DeLillo? Sit in the chair. Who is that? Oh, um, uh, Pollock. Donald Ray Pollock. Donald Ray Pollock. Okay. Yeah, he wrote The Devil All the Time, which t- was turned into a phenomenal movie recently. Have you seen the movie? No. It's out on Netflix now. Um, he's from Chillicothe, Ohio. Yeah. And yeah, great guy. So you, you sat with him and you're like, you know, give me some advice. And he's like, sit in the chair. Yes. And, and may, you know, I, I think that's, it can be taken two ways. Right. It exactly. Can be, it can be taken as you have the discipline to sit in the chair. Uh-huh. Which and maybe that's how it starts out, and but then ultimately, it, it turns into like you have to want to sit in the chair, you that, have to have a deep desire to sit in the chair. Yes, that, yeah. that's exactly it, man. And in fact, I think the 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 ultimate lesson that I I got from that only in retrospect though, because you're right. At, at first, it almost felt like a prescription. Mm. Yes, just sit in the chair every day. In fact, in my writing class, that's how I initially started. It was like sit in the chair for at least an hour a day for 30 days. I'm going to show you how to write better. Yeah. And and so, yes, from a mechanical standpoint, that works really well. And your writing will improve drastically if, if for example, you take my writing class or any other writing class yeah. and you spend 30 days sitting in the chair – even if it doesn't become your deep desire, all of a sudden you're a writer anyway. Your, your mechanics will improve. Your text messages, your business emails, mm. your whatever, your journaling, all that will improve. But when it comes to going beyond the basic mechanics of the thing, right. you're right. You have to have that deep desire. And I think ultimately what Donald Ray Pollock was saying to me is, hey, you, if you are a writer, writers write. Right. And the only way to do that is not via osmosis. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's weird because I have a friend who was a bricklayer uh, growing up. Um, he grew up in the same neighborhood as me, went to the vocational school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al, you probably remember Al. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he, he did bricklaying. And you never have aspiring bricklayers. <laughs> you simply lay bricks or you don't, mm-hmm. right? You've mm-hmm. You've spent your time doing the thing and you become better at it through... The, the, that routine of doing it, mm. but someone who has a deep desire to build something will automatically become a bricklayer or, or you know, some other creator of something. Yeah. And ultimately, if we're talking about, to tie in the, the question of meaning and mm. Laura's question from earlier, her text message question, mm-hmm. um, if, if we're really talking about creation and, and creators, let's say it sounds to me like Laura thinks that um, she... Um, has has a great creator. She has a faith that she has a creator. Whoever yeah. that is, it, it can be you know, God or Jesus or Muhammad or um, Allah, or, or you can you know, it could be nature or source or whatever sure. you want to call it. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you have a creator mm-hmm. that you were created in the image of, well, then you are also a creator. Mm. And I think that's a commonality for each of us. In fact, Ladina, I want to send you an advanced copy of our book, 
Love People Use Things because there's an entire chapter in there. It's, it's a relationship book, but it's about the seven essential relationships in our life. One of those is our relationship with creativity. Mm-hmm. And Ryan, you'll recall in that chapter, we talk about you can't really have a relationship. You can't talk about your relationship with, with creativity unless you talk about your relationship to distractions. Yeah. And of course, what is our number one weapon of mass distraction mm. technology. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's Ladina, again, like Josh and I are trying to get out of uh, of the uh, advice business. Um, but I can speak from my point of view. If you really want to cultivate a passion for something, like you got to get rid of the distractions. That is number one. And I was going to, and maybe we don't have time to talk about this, but I was going to talk about how you got rid of your phone, you got rid of your internet, and you basically got rid of all your distractions and you're very, very productive. Let's, let's extend that. Sure. Um, real quick, I'll just let you know, Ladina, I will send you a copy of Love People Use Things. It's actually coming out in Germany, I think in early 2022. I'm not sure. Uh, TheMinimalists.com. Actually, just go to LovePeopleUseThings.net if you want to pre-order the book. Also, Ryan and I are doing the audiobook on this one mm-hmm. and uh, I think we're going to do something special with the audiobook. I want to disagree with parts of the book in real time as mm. we continue to evolve. Mm. So I'm going to try and get the publisher to allow us to sort of do a little mini podcast at the end of each chapter of the audiobook. That's available for pre-sale right now. And also, uh, if you're on our newsletter, this is going to be published in dozens of countries. I know a lot of you, the only reason I mention is a lot of you, dozens of you have reached out to us on social media and text and and on the uh, email and asked when or when is it going to be published in you know, Portugal or wherever and mm-hmm. the answer is stay tuned for details it'll be in dozens of languages lovepeopleusethings.net is the website Ryan let's talk about some of those distractions mm-hmm. so man yes and at the time I thought what was important was getting rid of those distractions so that I could write mm. but what here's here's the truth what's the the direct truth behind the matter the deep desire to write removed the distractions Mm. meant because i had such a deep desire to write Mm. i needed to get rid of the things Mm -hmm. that were keeping me from doing the thing i can't not do And, and that it wasn't just the technology there. It was like, I'm going to move into a smaller apartment. My rent was $900 a month. How can I make it $500 a month? Mm. How can I afford to do this if I'm not making any money? And by the way, it's my, it's my favorite thing that I still do with The Minimalist. If you're on our, our newsletter, you know I send out a weekly sort of musing about minimalism or success or whatever, and uh, uh, about failure, about attachment, uh, uh, about relationships. And it's just what's on my mind. And there's no monetary sort of thing a- attached to that. In fact, it costs a lot of money for, to write what I write mm. because we have a newsletter list with hundreds of, th- hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And it's very expensive to maintain a list like that when I'm not, you know, we don't charge. If I charge everyone a dollar for the writings, wow. Mm. But because it's it's free, it's not it's not tainted at all. I, I never feel like I'm obligated to provide something. I just simply write because I can't not do it, mm. and I would still do it even if we didn't publish it on the blog, even if we didn't publish it via the Minimalists newsletter, mm. because it's the thing I can't not do. I wake up early in the morning. I got up at four thirty this morning, mm-hmm. and I just started writing. And some writing days, I'll write 1,000, 2,000 words. Other days, I'll write negative 3,000 words mm. 
because it's all part of the process, right? Yeah. So yes, removing those distractions was actually a result of finding the thing that I can't not do. So the question, Ladina, is how bad do you want to do those things? Enough to remove those distractions? Whew. And here's the thing too, though. You know, Ladina... I don't know. Uh, I like to play guitar. I like to play saxophone. I take Spanish lessons. Um, those aren't things that are deep desires that I can't not do, mm-hmm. but I enjoy them. Right. And there are things that uh, I will practice. Um, I don't have a set schedule for it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be a professional anything mm. uh, when it comes to those three things. And that's okay. And I've accepted that. Well, let's look at one of those things. Sure. So imagine if it was guitar. Sure. And I said, all right, Ryan, now every morning at 4.30 a.m., you have to get up and practice guitar mm-hmm. for an hour. Yeah. Now, first off, without a doubt, you would become better mechanically yes. within the first 30 days. For sure. No question about that. Mm-hmm. But is that the cost you're willing to pay? And the answer to that right now is obviously no. Right. It, but if it became the thing, all of a sudden you realize like, wow, this is the thing I can't not do, then Great. It, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a big deal at all for you to get up early and start playing yeah. for an hour. I wonder if John Mayer would have become John Mayer if he you know, started playing guitar in like the year 2010 with all the distractions. Right. He, he's actually, I've heard him say that one of the greatest benefits of his childhood was not growing up with the internet yeah. because it allowed him to sit in his room for eight hours a night and practice guitar. Right. He had no choice. Right. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I think that someone with, someone like John Mayer, I think the answer to that is still yes. Yeah, because I think so. it is the thing, I mean, he's proficient at quite a few things mm-hmm. and a really bright person, but but he is a savant guitar player, perhaps the best in the world or one of the best in the world. People don't realize that because he's a pop singer, but mm-hmm. uh, guitar enthusiasts know that he is, he's the real deal, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it was, it's because of that obsession, that pathological obsession mm-hmm. for greatness. So ultimately, yes, the answer is if you want to become better at something mechanically, then yeah, some discipline and some practice, uh, those things are all fine. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a elite or great or find that thing that you're really able to impart meaning on, mm. it's going to go beyond that that sort of discipline. I think where Ladina is really, uh, I don't know, at a crossroads right now is these are shoulds. So she's like, you know, she's shooting all over herself, which yes. is which is fine. But Ladina, you've got to be honest with yourself. Like how badly do you want to do those things because one or two things will happen either ladina you will get rid of the distractions and you'll develop this deep desire you will turn those things into into you know things that you can't not do or you can just accept that you know what those aren't things that you really want to do and that's okay too yes but right now she's in this crossroads with the shoulds right and, and i love what you're saying there about because quite often you feel like you should do something. By the way, here's a gift for you, Ladina. There is no should. And so we need to set that aside altogether. The problem that we've encountered is our culture has has brought in a whole lot of shoulds. The opposite, Ryan, of, mm. of nihilism is rational totalitarianism, mm. where people and groups overly moralize everything Mm. where it's everything is binary you should do this you shouldn't do that well binary thinking produces grayscale rainbows that's a minimal maximum from a previous episode but you can tweet that podcast sean And, and here's what i'll say there is no should those are myths manufactured by your culture or by your society 
And when you realize that, you get to create your own musts mm. as a result. I must do this. This is the thing I can't not do. Not because my culture said I should do it, but because I feel so compelled that I have that mm. deep desire to do it. Well, Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. Now, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. And now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place, minimalmaxims.com. Sia has a question for us. What's your advice for situations when you had a clear vision to achieve success slash happiness, but it falls apart due to external forces? How do you rebuild yourself and restructure the idea of success in your head? Interesting that someone's happiness and success... They made it one word, literally. Yeah, is and, and it falls apart due to external forces. Always. Yeah. Hmm. Right. So, so let me give you my pithy answer. Maybe we can unpack this yeah. together, Ryan. Happiness is not a byproduct of success. It is a byproduct of enough. Mm. We don't ever stop to consider what is enough. Yeah. In our culture, it's always more, more, more. And, and we rarely stop to consider less because that almost seems that's countercultural. Mm. You and I never set out to be countercultural as the minimalists, Mm-mm. but in a way, it is a rejection of a consumerism culture mm. because we realized exactly what Sia was saying here. Success slash happiness, which by the way, she puts it as one word because it's success slash happiness. Well, that's the problem. We've attached happiness to success. Mm. Now, that's a, a foolish thing for us to do. The reason that we uh, call our audience simpletons, by the way, because Ryan and I are the head simpletons. <laughs> Simpleton just means that we're, we're foolish, right? And what is the w- most foolish thing that I have done in my life? Well, perhaps the most foolish is I equated success with happiness. Yeah. As soon as I get that thing, that mm. external thing, that person or thing, then I will be happy. And then when I'm happy, I'll be actually the other way around. Then I'll be successful. And as soon as I'm successful, then I will be happy. Of course, it falls apart due to external forces. That's how it always falls apart. Here's one more pithy answer for you, Ryan. He who settles for success is a successful. Hence the title of this episode. So all I'm really trying to say here, Ryan, is that when we pursue success, when we pursue happiness, it is a type of failure. We're going to address this on the private podcast. I got a whole essay called Success Does Not Exist. And I have an equation in there. I know how you love math equations. I love it. And so I will prove to you mathematically how success equals failure. (laughs) Ryan, you got some of the pithy for us? I do. Uh, Love is the foundation upon which success is built. Let me tell you why I love this, Ryan. Because what you're doing here is you're redefining the culture's idea of success. Yeah, I mean, when I think about me being a successful person, it has nothing to do with titles or followers or you know money. It has everything to do with, can I be myself 100%? Can I be who Ryan Nicodemus is? And do I have people in my life who 
uh, I can support and also be supported by. Mm. And that is, uh, that's a good life. And you could put a million dollars in my bank account or take all my money away. Mm-hmm. Um, having those things for me helps me feel, uh, I, I guess, yeah, successful. Yeah. So su- there's nothing wrong with success. The problem is, A, the definition, the meaning that we give success, and B, like what are we putting aside to chase that success. So going back to the corporate world, we associated success with happiness. Yes. But how many of our values did we step on? Mm-hmm. How many things did we ignore in order to be successful chasing the happiness? Mm-hmm. And arguably we got there, but yeah. you know, happiness is ephemeral. We, we, we paid that cost, mm-hmm. right? And then realized like, oh, this isn't worth the cost that we're paying mm. because of all the additional costs. Yeah. It first looked like, okay, work 60 hours a week, but then all the other costs were stress and anxiety mm. and overwhelm. And, and you end up in a place where you don't want to be. Well, how do you end up there? Because you chase success around. Success, Ryan, is like when you take a balloon and blow it up and you mm. just let it go. Mm. And all of a sudden, we're just chasing it all over the room, right? I, yeah. If you ever do that with, I, I've done it with Ella a mm-hmm. bunch of times, where I'll just blow up a balloon and let it, and she'll try to chase it. She'll never, ever catch it. <laughs> but what a perfect metaphor for happiness mm-hmm. is you already had the happiness right there. Mm-hmm. And you let it go and you start chasing it. You never, ever catch it. <laughs> it's like, uh, well, it's making me think there's, there's something there with a metaphor about Ella having a lot of fun with the chase, mm. which then makes me think about a dog that chases its tail. They get so excited, but when they, as soon as they catch their tail, they're like, now what? They're confused. Even. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. And by the way, that's what happened to me and you. We caught our tail mm-hmm. in our 20s. Yeah. And it was like, oh, wait a minute. Now now what do I do? I've caught the, you know what? I, I need a bigger tail to catch mm. now, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so- it always sort of success or happiness is always sort of right around the bin. Yeah. We never ever get there. There's there there is something about never getting there though. Mm-hmm. The there's something about the chase that is fun. Yeah, but it's so so the question is is that and, and and I don't know the answer to this is we're always chasing something. Like I am chasing uh, peace right now. Mm. So I, I think we're always chasing something. You are chasing good health right now. You're, mm. you're, you're, uh, we're, we're, so I guess the question is, is like, do we, do we accept that we shouldn't chase mm. or do we be more deliberate with the things we chase? I have a very long answer for that. We'll do it on the private podcast right, cool. this week because awesome. uh, I, I do want to disagree with you on the chasing part, but I think maybe we could form a detente. Somewhere Disag- in the middle. There was no, there was, I didn't put my flag anywhere to disagree with. Well, you said we're all chasing something and, and, and oh, I, I, I want to have, oh, okay. have a, I want to have a conversation about that. Okay, cool. Gotcha. And also we've got some listener comments and tips this week and an added value segment that you're certainly going to enjoy. But first it looks like we've got a bunch more surprise questions this week. Like, mm-hmm. would you please talk about your private podcast disagreement from last month? What do you mean when you say that success is the same thing as failure? How has your definition of success changed since becoming the minimalists? What can you do to get rid of perfectionism? How do you find work-life balance? What is the difference between satisfaction and fulfillment? Plus a million phenomenal questions about 
success for the minimalist? And I, I don't say that lightly, Ryan. You rarely will ever hear me say that's a great question. So when I do say it, I genuinely mean it. I don't know what sort of magic podcast Sean put together mm. to tweeze out some of these questions uh, for this week. But man, Sean, you picked some phenomenal questions. You're going to make for some good conversations here. And if you want to listen to all that, listen to The Minimalist private podcast this week. Visit theminimalists.com slash support to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee and it keeps our show 100% advertisement free. By the way, private podcast subscribers also gain access to hundreds of hours of our private archives. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? Josh, that's a great question. Here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out. Hello, my name is Maggie, and I'm from Northport, Michigan. I wanted to leave a comment addressing gifts. I recently saw a local news story about a little girl who loved dogs, so she asked for birthday gifts such as dog food and toys that would then be donated to their local animal shelter. So then I thought for Mother's Day, um, you could ask for items that then could be donated to the local women's shelter. Also around Christmas, there's usually toy drives and winter coat and boot drives. Um, and a last idea um, for children is um, their classroom at school being adopted um, to supply with um, some basic items that their class could need. Hi, this is Emily from Roanoke Park, California. I was really moved by your collecting, collecting episode, and I wanted to talk about how studying art history in college, I was very seduced by this history of beautiful objects and started collecting myself at a young age and found it actually really quieting for my mind to focus all my attention on this one object and studying it and appreciating its beauty. And it was only over time that I came to realize it wasn't owning these things that brought pleasure, but actually just feeling reverence for them. And I was able to sell my collections without losing much money because antiques hold their value, which sadly is not the case with most objects in the world. And now I can move through this world of objects and appreciate them and then just leave them in the world the same way we take a hike in the woods and we don't feel like we need to bring home the trees and rocks and creatures. We just enjoy being immersed in that environment and enjoy it while we're there. Um, and I think too often people think that when you're a minimalist, you have a kind of disdain for things and that you shun them and reject them, and that's just not the case. You can still very much enjoy objects and be amused by the novelty goods at the store or the beautiful jewelry on people's wrists, and you just don't have to own it. So reverence is different than ownership. You know, the great question thing is, is fascinating, right? It's Ryan. an idiom that I always use. I don't know why. Well, I, I can tell you why. It's like a buffer. It's like, that's uh, exactly it's it. like saying, um. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I have old videos. You go back and look at the minimalists. There are plenty of videos of me saying, oh, good question. Great. And, and the thing is, what we're also trying to do is we're trying to make the other person feel comfortable and mm -hmm. accepted. We accept your question. Right. But yeah. it, in a weird way, it was me accidentally patronizing the person because yeah. they, they would say something like, hey, where's the bathroom? Oh, good question. It's, yeah. it's not a good question. Yeah. It, yeah. So um, anyway, 
we have an added value segment this week, Ryan. Mm. And I was telling you about this. I sent you his new album. Wesley Schultz mm. has an album called Vignettes. Why is there a letter G in the word vignettes? I don't know, man. The English language is weird. Although I would, I would say that's probably not English. Yeah, it's probably what is it? It's a romance. It's a derivative of a romance language. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Wesley Schultz. Like, who is this? Well, anyway, I, I put, I turned it on. I'm like, this guy. <laughs> he's doing like his best Lumineers impersonation. It sounds. I mean, this is almost exactly like the Lumineers. <laughs> and then I realized, like, well, wait, these are ten cover songs. It sounds like a guy's doing a Lumineers impression of a Coldplay song mm. or a Bruce Springsteen song or a Bob Dylan song or a Sheryl Crow song. That's weird. And then I realized, oh, wait, Wesley Schultz is the lead singer mm-hmm. from the Lumineers. So mm. it's going to have that Lumineers-esque sound, which Ryan does a good impression of. <laughs> you can't do that. We're going to pull off YouTube oh, for copyright bad. infringement. My bad. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, he has a new album, Wesley Schultz. It's called Vignettes. And at the end of this episode, Podcast Sean, the, fr- the opening song is a Bruce Springsteen song. It is called My City of Ruins. And I, I will tell you that what a great song, but what an especially great song at the tail end of this, what I hope is the tail end of a pandemic, mm. right? A- a- to be talking about a city of ruins. When you look at a city like New York City, I think it was 116,000 people left New York City last year. Oh, wow. I mean, that is staggering, right? Wow. I-, I don't know if that stat is 100% accurate. I just I saw it the other day. And um, w- what is fascinating to me is we're starting to look, even through old art, they're illuminating something about the current world. Mm. And so at the end of this, we'll listen to Wesley Schultz's My City of Ruins. And real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. I have a free ebook. It's called 11 Ways to Write Better. We've talked a bit about writing on this episode. You can find it over at howtowritebetter.org. Also, I teach a writing class. It's not open currently, so you can't enroll in it. But if you're on the email list over there, we'll let you know if and when it opens up in the near future. But in the meantime, you can download that free ebook. It's called 11 Ways to Write Better. You can follow The Minimalist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalist. Come to one of our live podcast shows. Visit theminimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalist. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. You'll also receive our simple Sunday emails each week. And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things. Otherwise, you're a failure. (laughs) (laughs) See y'all. All All right, y'all. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. There's a blood red circle on a cold dark ground And the rain is falling down Church doors thrown open I can hear the organ song But the congregation's gone My city of ruins My city's in a ruins Now the sweet bells of mercy Drift through the evening trees 
Young men on the corner like scattered leaves The boarded up windows And the empty streets And my brother's down on his knees My city of ruins My city's in a ruin 